I, I, I like the, the new digs here. This is, this is pretty cool. This is uh, uh, pretty cool. I can't see anybody because there are two lights that are, that are flashing. I feel like you can see my soul. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be a few shades darker as soon as, uh, as, soon as the service is over. Um, but <laughs> uh, it is so good to be here and so good to, uh, to see what God is doing in the life of Treasure in Christ Church and uh, what God is, uh, is even doing uh, in each one of our lives uh, as we are a part of this church. Uh, it, it's great to see how God is moving us. I mean, stop and think about the, the providence of God in all of this, uh, that we are meeting right down the street from where, Lord willing, we will uh, permanently, in big air quotes, uh, of course, when we invest in brick and mortar, we better be there about as permanently as, as, as we could. But, but think that we're already in the community. Isn't that amazing? We're already here. Like we're already in Southeast Raleigh. We already, uh, God is already forming a, a relationship between us and the school here. Uh, and and I, we can only imagine how many uh, families uh, are, are represented in an auditorium like this from Monday uh, through Friday. Uh, we already get an opportunity to build relationships with the folks in our and in, in the neighborhood around and so on. It, it's it's almost as if God's already put us on mission before we're even officially permanently here in terms of brick and mortar. How good is our God? So we're here and we get an opportunity to meet with folks, we get an opportunity to build relationships with families and communities. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, there may be some folks who are moving into the community in the next few years and there's already a church presence here. And so we praise God for his grace. We praise God for his kindness. We praise him for his mission. And there's so much that we don't know. <laughs> There's so much that we just honestly have no clue about that God uh, has yet to show us and yet to reveal to us. And yet we know a few things uh, already. One, uh, we serve a great God who is awesome in, in all of his ways. Uh, we, we, he's given us a great Savior in our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's put us on task uh, for a great mission. And that is that people in our neighborhood and even across the nations would know him. And that we would be, uh, in some small way, we could be a part of that great mission of taking his name uh, to our neighbors and to the nation. So I'm excited about this new chapter here uh, at TCC. I hope that y'all are excited too. Are y'all hyped? Are y'all excited? Yeah. And so let's, let's pray as we uh, study the word today that God would continue to form us and shape us for this mission uh, of making his name great. Let's, let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 25. Isaiah chapter 25. Y'all know the drill when you're there, say I'm there. Isaiah 25 is where we are. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning of verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. 
You have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Moab will be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. He will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride for, uh, together with the skill of his hands. And the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. So may our God bless us as we hear and, and, and ponder his word here. Let's pray. Oh God, you are our God. This is our hope. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, cultivate in us a vision. A vision of who we are and a vision of where we're headed. That we may live today and every single day in the light of this, of this great vision, in the light of this good news. We need your help, Lord, because we don't see it. Our world is broken. We are broken. So help us, Lord, to see reality. In the midst of the present reality, help us to see ultimate reality. And Lord, would you fill our hearts with great joy? For you are our God. And this is our salvation. We thank you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are in Southeast Raleigh, and the reality is, well, the reality of Southeast Raleigh is the same as it was 10 minutes from here, right? Uh, the, the, the address has changed, but the world is still the same. Uh, it's 2021, 
And we were hoping that 2021 would look a little bit better than 2020. And it does look a little bit better, but it doesn't quite look like 2019, does it? Uh, we are still so unsure of so many things. There's still many people that are unsure about their present, and they're certainly unsure about the future. We don't quite know where our country is at. We don't quite know where even our community is at. And so we wonder, what do we do in this situation? Where do we go? What do we, what do we hold on to when everything seems to be falling apart? Well, you look around and you notice that different people respond in different ways. There are some who respond with faith. It is what it is, right? I just do what I do and I just live my life and so on because, you know, I can't change anything. The only thing that I can do is just live my life. And so it is what it is. We just live with this faith that whatever's going to happen is going to happen and whatever situation I'm in is the situation that I'm in and, and I just kind of roll with it. I just go with it as if there's no hope for change. There's no hope for transformation. It just is what it is. Some people respond with faith. Other people respond with fright. You live in a life of perpetual fear, right? Uh, you, you don't go outside because if I go outside, I might catch some type of virus. Or if I go outside, you know, some wacko might just come over and, 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 and jump me or something. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to stay in here in home where, I've been, where I can control my life, right? And control all of my surroundings and my circumstances. And I'm not going out there because it's crazy out there. Some people respond with faith. Some people respond with fright. Some people respond with fight. Right? Uh, this world is crazy, and so how do I respond? Well, I respond with rage. Right? I'm mad at you. I'm mad at everybody. Burn the whole thing down. Right? And there are certainly people that respond in that way. You know, you have some who respond with faith. Some respond with fright. Some respond with fight. And some respond with flight. You have some people that say, well, this world is all crazy, so I'm going on vacation. I'm going to go to Acapulco. And I'm going to live out there in the beautiful, crystal clear, blue water, and, and I'm just not going to ever come back, right? Uh, maybe it's not Apple Poco. Maybe for you it's, it's video games, right? You say, I'm going, to, I'm going to live my life playing Madden or NBA 2K or Fortnite or whatever, because at least in that world, I actually accomplish things. At least in that world, I win. Or you turn to entertainment, you turn to movies, you turn to television or, or things like that. You just escape into another world, right? You travel to Middle Earth or, or, or you travel to, uh, uh, to Narnia or, or you travel to wherever you go and you just live in that world where things just make so much more sense, where, where uh, good uh, triumphs over evil and people live happily ever after. Maybe I could just live vicariously through the, the, the life of a Disney princess. That, that, that's your imagination. That's not my imagination, uh, personally, but uh, we need some therapy if that was mine. But, 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 that, but you, know, you live these lives and you do these types of things, you escape, you fly away. We respond in so many different ways. We respond with faith, we respond with fear, we respond with fight, uh, uh, we respond with flight. But think about it. In every single one of those situations, 
there's an undergirding premise. And that premise is things aren't going to change. Things aren't going to change. Why would I have this it is what it is mentality? Well, it's because I don't think that things are going to change. Why would I live in perpetual fright? Well, it's because I don't believe that things are going to change. Why do I fight? Well, because I don't think it's going to change. And so I take matters in my own hands, in my own fists, if you will. Why do I resort to flight? Well, it's because I don't think that things can change. And so I've got to go somewhere else where things are more likely to change. And all of those scenarios, though, when there's that underlying premise that things can't change. If you don't recognize it, recognize that this is the community that we live in. Whether we're talking here in Southeast Raleigh or whether we're talking about here in Neck of the Woods. This is the, these are the people that you live with. These are the people in your neighborhood. Not only that, but let's just be honest. Some of us feel that way right here in this room, though. We look at the world and we wonder, is it ever going to get any better? Are things ever going to change? And some of you feel this sense of, I just don't care anymore, right? You've just kind of fallen into the fate mentality. I just, I just don't care anymore. I just live my life in daily, meh, whatever, you know, it is what it is. Some of you have responded with fright. You, you live in this, in this grip of fear on and on and on like things just simply aren't going to change. Maybe you've been more angry over the last several years and you find yourself snapping at absolutely everything and everyone. Or maybe you just find yourself checking out. Flying, you know, flying off into any uh, uh, world or, or, or any uh, imaginary circumstance without living in the here and now, you just find yourself escaping. Maybe you are wondering, are things ever going to change? This is why I love this chapter, Isaiah 25. Because Isaiah 25 tells us that we can be people of hope. And as people of hope, we don't have to respond with faith. We don't have to respond with, uh, uh, where did I go? Hi, how you doing? We don't have to respond with faith. We don't have to respond with fright. We don't have to respond with fight. We don't have to respond with flight. But rather, we can respond with faith. Why do we respond with faith? We can be a people of faith because we serve the God of hope. There is a God who gives us a marvelous future. A God who has laid out a vision of what he is capable of doing in this world. I don't have to go to another world, if you will, in order to find some type of hope and some type of, 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 of stability in my life or anything like that. I can live in this life, in this world, with full hope and full assurance because I know what God is going to do in this world, in this place. And even here, Southeast Rome, God's got a plan. And God's about to accomplish it. In fact, he's accomplishing it right before our very eyes. So what is this, this hope that we have? Who it is? Maybe a better way of asking this. 
Who is this hope of ours? This hope is the God of the Scriptures. This hope is the God of the Scriptures. Y'all are going to have to help me out. You see, we're, we're in this nice little controlled space, and, and the sound just kind of evaporates and everything. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some help here. Right? Y'all are going to have to reach into that diaphragm and, and, and belt some amens or something. You know, Help, help a brother out here. Y'all here this morning? Okay, okay, just just checking, just, just checking. I knew you guys were saying amen. I just couldn't hear you. You're going to have to speak out and project a little bit, okay? We're good, good, good. All right, so so what do we know about this God here in Isaiah 25? Well, let me set this up a little bit. This is a section in Isaiah where Isaiah is, is talking about the nations, and he speaks of this city. There's this city that the nations have kind of set up as, as, as this is where we rule. This is where we are in control. This is where we are on top and everybody else is on the bottom. And he, and he, he singles out one particular people, the people of Moab in here. We find references to Moab at the end of the chapter here as well. But he's talking here uh, about this city. I think it's, there's some overtones and there's some folks like, like Ray Ortland and others in his commentary that, that, that seem to agree here uh, that, that it, it resembles what uh, Augustine talked about later on in uh, his book, The City of God, where he said there are really two cities in the world. There's the city of God and there's the city of man. And right now, all of us are living in the city of man. We're living in this world. We're living in this culture. We're living in this age. And, and so Isaiah sees this city of man. And in the city of man, the righteous aren't doing so well. Those who want to serve the Lord, those who want to follow him in all of his ways, those who want to worship him as the one true God, we're not doing all that well. We're in the minority here in the city of man. Uh, as the world lives, as the world lives, and as the world does, as the world does, we are the ones that are kind of on the outskirts. We're the ones marginalized from society. We're the ones who don't totally fit in. And we long, as Augustine would speak, we long for another city. We were made for another city. We long for the city where God is king, where his way is the way of the land, where his righteousness rules and reigns. His justice is the, it sets the tone and the order for our society. We long for that day, but that day isn't coming just yet. And so what we see in Isaiah is, is this, uh, this reality that we live in the present world and it's not fun and, and things don't go our way. And in fact, we are the butt of jokes and we're the ones who get harassed and we're the ones that get the blame for everything bad in society and all of that. That's the world we live in. But Isaiah envisions a time where God is going to establish his where one day there will be one city and only one city that is left standing, and that is the city of God. Maybe I could say it this way. There is coming a day where when all is said and done, there will be one kingdom that will rule over all of the earth. And it doesn't mean that there won't be other kingdoms, but all of those other kingdoms will be subsumed, if you will, and absorbed into the one kingdom, and that is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That day is coming. And Isaiah envisions this. This is amazing because Isaiah lives in the 8th century B.C., 700 years before Christ. He says, there's a king coming. 
<laughs> There's a day that is coming and a kingdom that cannot fail. And he sets his eyes on that and he calls for his people to set their eyes on that. And I now am calling us to set our eyes on this God and this hope that we have in his kingdom. So notice this. There's three things that he tells us about our God and the hope that we have here in him. God first is our hope of future protection. God is our hope of future protection. Look what he says in verse 1. Oh Lord, you are my God. He says, I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. By the way, if you look at that in the Hebrew, wonderful there uh, is, is put in parallel to plans, which could be also translated counsel, which if you know Isaiah, your ears should go or your mind should go back to Isaiah 9, where the Lord calls uh, or Isaiah calls the Lord the wonderful counselor. Well, it's that God, that wonderful counselor is the one that he's speaking of here in Isaiah 25. Well, what does his wonderful counsel tell us? Well, he says in verse two, you have made the city a heap, the fortified city, a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. The picture is this. There is coming a day where that city, that stronghold, that, that, that world system, if you will, that right now has so much sway and so much power and so much influence, there is coming a day where it will topple down. God will be the one to topple it down. And it will never, ever again be rebuilt. Uh, we can talk today about the, uh, the, the wildly lucrative pornography business. We can talk today about uh, the wildly lucrative uh, 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 world system and, 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 and businesses and so on. We can talk about sports and how sports, and we talk about the Super Bowl and events like that, how, how they wind up being a boon for prostitution and sex trafficking and sex slavery and things like that. We could talk about uh, 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 the people who have, who have died because of mismanagement, whether we're talking the, in the medical system or, or people who have died from the political injustices and things like that. We can talk about police brutality. We can talk about all of these different things. We can talk about the abortion industry and, and we can talk about uh, uh, the, 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 the sex and, and, and gender reassignment industry that sells and makes millions, even billions of dollars and so on and mutilating people's lives and bodies. We can talk about all of these things that are present in our world right now now, but they won't last forever. There is coming a day when this city, when this world system is going to fall down to the ground and there is no hope of reconstruction. It will never be built up again. That day is coming. And notice what happens to those who have been abused and who have been oppressed and who have been marginalized in this system. Look at verse 4. You have been a stronghold to the poor. Notice, they find protection in here, and they find protection in God. God is the stronghold. You have been a stronghold to the poor. That's a singular there, to the poor person. A stronghold to the needy person in his distress. Notice, God finds individuals 
and you have men and women, boys and girls who individually, personally find God to be the stronghold and the shelter. When everything is falling to pieces, they find safety in him. God is protecting them. Notice God is also protecting not only them in that day, but, but the question that I ask for you is, are you one of these people? Is God protecting you in all of this? Our culture is going off the rails, but do you find your life being safe and secure in the arms of God? <laughs> the, the, things may not look as, as rosy for, for you in the context of the world that we're living in, but in the context of eternity, are you doing okay? Because God is keeping you. God is watching over you. God is the one that is sustaining you. He is the stronghold. He is, in verse 4, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Is he the one that is, that is making sure that you can still get up and stand and even give praise to him and find some things to be thankful for today? Notice he says there, uh, the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall, like heat in a dry place. But note what he does. He says, God subdues the noise of the foreigners as he, by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. Notice, as the, as the world is kind of looming over us and kind of beating down on us like the heat of the summer sun beats down on us, God comes like a cloud and covers up the sun so that the temperature drops a little bit in your life and you don't feel the heat and, and, and all of that, but rather you're able to live and you're able to be sustained because God is the one that is protecting you. I saw uh, Grayson and Nikki as they were coming in this morning and uh, they were at the Clemson game yesterday. And while they were there at the Clemson game, if you noticed yesterday, it was a little bit warmer than it was today. And, uh, and so Grayson... Who's, who's a very strapping young man, when he, when he took off his mask, uh, he had all the, the, the signs of sunburn <laughs> from being there at the football stadium there under the heat of the sun. Well, imagine what it is like. And some of y'all know what that's like. I honestly have no idea what that is like for various reasons. But, 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 but uh, it, it, just imagine what it is like if he were there and, and, and all of a sudden this nice cloud comes and, and, and just kind of covers the sun and it's, all of a sudden it gets a little overcast. That would be a bit of relief for sunburn Grayson, right? Why? Because now he doesn't get the effects of the sun. The sun is still there and everything, but he's being shaded by the sun. That's exactly what's going on here. As the persecutors, as folks with power and folks with influence and so on, that want to rid the world of the witness of Christ, as they are breathing down on us, as they are heaping their, their uh, intimidations and so on on us, God comes like a cloud and says, don't worry, I got you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to sustain you. You don't have to worry about your mouth being silenced or anything like that because I am the one that is giving you your strength and your protection. I'm the one that's keeping your mouth open. You keep on proclaiming the good news of Christ because I've got your back. Oh, that's good. And so notice here, God is our hope of future protection. God is the one who sustains us. Question if God is the one who sustains us for all of eternity, and this city that he's talking about will be toppled down to the ground, then how can we live today? I'm amazed at how unbelievably terrified people are about the world that we live in. Sure, there are things that we ought to be concerned 
concern about. But don't ever let that concern turn into an unbelieving fear. And don't let that, uh, that, that those concerns turn into an unbelieving fight. Don't let those concerns turn into an unbelieving flight or even an unbelieving fate. You have a God who is able to sustain you. You have a God who is able to keep you. You have a God that, that in the end of days will take all that is evil and wicked in this world and he will bring it down to the ground. You have nothing to be afraid of. Trust in him. May we be a witness of, of people who can go into our neighborhoods and so on. And as everybody else is running around like chicken little, afraid that the sky is falling and so on, may you be the stable voice in our communities to say, hey, there's a God that's got this all under control. Not only is he the God of future protection, but he is also our hope of future celebration. Because notice it says in verse 6, the tone changes as you see one city down in the ground and rubble and ruin. And then you see another uh, uh, vision here, but this is of a mountain. And in verse 6 he says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. My goodness, I didn't know that Isaiah spoke so much about um, Welches. And, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Look what's going on here. He sees this vision of a mountain. And on this mountain, there are all peoples, all nations, all ethnicities and cultures that are gathering together on this mountain. And they've got a party going on here. They're feasting. Notice rich food full of marrow. They're not talking about that ground beef with the, you know, 80-20 ground beef or 90-10 or, or, or ground beef. No, this is the grease and the Oh, it's lovely. All right. This is good stuff here. This is the best of that Wagyu beef, you know, that you see, you know, over in, in, uh, in Japan and everything, where it was all marbly and everything. That's what he's talking about here. This is the good stuff. This is that expensive stuff that they sell at Wegmans, okay? And then he says, uh, a feast of well-aged wine, okay? This isn't just something that you, you, know, you get over at the grocery store or something. This is that vintage stuff. I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But, but it's that, that, that vintage stuff, you know, that's been sitting around for ages and everything. And, and they take it and you swish it around and everything. And you go, this is the good stuff, okay? Let me just give a little side note here. I think that this is part of the reason that we have all of the problems that we have today when it comes to food and when it comes to drink. I think the reason for this is God is not designed right now to be the time of your greatest joy, at least when it comes to those types of things, food and drink and things like that. God doesn't want you to get it twisted. All right. You, you go to the party, you go to the club, you know, or something, and, and you, you imbibe on all of this stuff. You drink and drink and drink, or you go to some, some big party and you eat and eat and eat and all that, and you will regret it. Why? Because this is not where all that joy is supposed to be found. 
There is coming a day where God is going to lift the, the restrictions, if you will, and you will be able to eat to your heart's content, and you will be able to drink with all of the mirth and joy that you could ever imagine, because in that day, that is the day where God says, now let your joy be absolutely full to the brim. Why? Why does he want it to be on that day? Because it's on that day as God gathers all of the people together and all of us are there on that mountain, the mountain of God, Mount Zion, in his kingdom. It is there that he will take away the curse. What has cursed us all the way since Eden? The curse is death. It's what he says there is the veil that is spread over us, the covering that is cast over us. He will swallow up death forever. And notice all the suffering that's associated with death and dying. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. And notice, just in case you didn't know how sure this is, look at the last line in verse 8. For the Lord has spoken. God is saying, I am the one saying these words. So you can take it all the way to the back. This is what's going to happen on that day. There's coming a day where we will no longer be under the curse of death. The reason we won't be under the curse of death is because we will no longer have sin. God will take away our sin once and for all. We've seen in Romans that God has taken away the penalty of our sin as Jesus on the cross was our propitiation, absorbing the wrath of God upon himself so that not a drop of God's wrath would fall on any one of us. God took away the penalty of sin. And we know from Romans 6 and Romans 7, and we'll see in Romans 8, that God is uh, uh, progressively, systematically taking away the, the power of sin over us so that we can walk in the newness of life, as Romans 6 says. But we know that there is coming a day where God will once and for all take away the presence of sin. No longer will sin stain us. No longer will sin grip us. No longer will sin be this, this, uh, 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 this asterisk after our lives or anything like that. No, on that day, we will be perfectly, finally whole. Oh, what a day it will be. And on that day, then, we will feast. You thought you knew about joy today? You thought you knew about joy when you saw Steph Curry hit a game-winning three? Or when you saw, when you heard uh, uh, Bregis that Cam Newton is coming back to the Panthers? <laughs> or, 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 or all of these different things. You thought you knew joy on your wedding day? You, or your wedding night, for that matter? You thought you knew joy in the delivery room? You thought you knew joy at graduation? Oh, you don't know joy as you will know on that day when sin will be no more and death will be thrown into the lake of fire and there will only be righteousness and justice and peace forever and ever. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Oh, what a day that will be. Christ has made this possible for us. And so if that's the way that it's going to be on that day, then how should it be for us today? If we are going to celebrate on that day, shouldn't our lives be marked by that kind of joy today? Shouldn't we be eager to spread this joy to all peoples today? Shouldn't the folks outside of the, these school walls here, the Southeast Raleigh, shouldn't they know something of the joy that they could have if they would trust in Christ? 
Can they see that joy in you? Are you showing them and modeling for them, exemplifying for them what this exuberant joy in Christ looks like? There are people who don't have hope, but they don't have hope because they just don't see anything beyond sin and death. There is hope beyond sin and death. His name is Jesus. Trust in Jesus, and you will know what it is like to have the chains fall off and for you to be finally and ultimately free. Well, not only is he the hope of our uh, uh, future protection, and not only is he the hope of future celebration, but he is also the hope of future salvation. As he says there, it'll be said on that day, verse 9, Behold, this is our God. Man, I love our. This is our God. I can just imagine the people's. You know, I could see people saying this in Mandarin. I could see people saying this in British English. I could hear people saying this in North Carolina English. And I could, and, and I could, I could see black and white and brown and red and Asian. And so I'm just all these folks gathering together saying, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And we can say that, and we are going to say that over and over again on that mountain. But it's not going to be good news for everybody. The salvation is not going to be celebrated by everybody. For notice he mentions the people of Moab. He says in verses 10 through 12, Moab will be trampled down in his place. His straw is trampled down in a dunghill. It's a very graphic and quite, frankly, disgusting picture. Here they were, all high and, exalt and exalted, high and lofty, and so on. And now here they are, face down in crap, wallowing in a dunghill. Right. He says, and, and he'll spread out his hands. He's spreading out his hands in the dunghill. He's spreading out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. He's trying to get out of the, the muck and get out of the mess and all of that, trying to get out. But it says the Lord, verse 11, will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. You thought that you didn't need God. You thought that you could live your life without his help. You thought that you could do your own thing, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You thought that nobody, you needed help from nobody and you could just do your life the way you want to do your life and no one can tell you what to do in everything. And that is you. Moab is you at the end of days wallowing in a dunghill. Seeing even there that, oh, I can save myself out of all of this. There is no escaping wrath of God. God will resist the proud, but he will exalt the humble. God will lay low those who think that they can save themselves. God will lay low the self-reliant and the self-exalted, and there is no escaping his humiliation. As he says in verse 10, the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. There is no escaping. There is no rebuilding. This is the expectation for those who trust not in the Lord, but trust in themselves. This is the expectation for those who lay up treasures on earth, and not the treasures of heaven. Those who say, my hope is in this life. And I'll step on whoever I need to step on, and I'll 
take advantage of whoever I can take advantage of so that I can climb my way up to the ladder that only extends to this life and doesn't have anything beyond this life. God says, eventually this ladder is going to trample down to the ground. It can only take you so far. Hope in this life is not hope at all. But you can have the hope that goes beyond the grave. You can have a salvation that is not just salvation from this life, but salvation into a life of eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ. You can know the joy of knowing God having your hope in him and in him alone. You can know that this God who, who, who will indeed trample the, the high and exalted and so on, that this is also a God who gathers the lowly unto himself and says, I will be your protector and I will be your salvation and I will be your joy and I will never let you go and you will never be defeated in all of eternity because I will be your victory. Do you know him? trust in him. The problem with fate and fright and fight and flight is you're saying, God, I don't trust you. I can only trust in myself. But there's another way of living. You can live with God as your hope. You can live with God as your only hope. And you can trust in him. He will be the one to sustain you and make sure that you make it onto that mountain and that great celestial city once and for all. So my question is, who do you trust? Who is your hope? Do you rest on God and on him alone through our Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you trusting in yourself? These times are crazy. There's a lot to be concerned about in our world. But we have hope that goes beyond this world. We serve a God who one day will establish his mountain. The cities will be laid low. And on this mountain, all the peoples of the earth will gather and will worship him. No longer under the fear of sin and death, but only in the life, the righteous, just, peaceful, joyous life that can only be found in him through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be a people who hope in Christ and in Christ alone. May we signal to the world that there's a new city coming, a city not made with human hands, a city with God on the throne. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what a hope you have given us in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would indeed help us to hope well, to trust in Christ Trust in him as the only one that could save us, the only one who could bring us justification before you, the only one that could redeem all things and make all things new. Father, I pray that with this vision cemented in our heads and ignited in our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would leave out of here with joy and thanksgiving. May we leave out of here with a greater resolve for your mission to get this good news out to all peoples. There may be some who are here today that have not yet gotten in on this and by the grace of our Lord, you can get in on this. 
Father, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, draw them. Open their eyes, open their hearts. They may receive this hope, hope that can only be found in Christ. Lord, would you continue to cultivate right here in Southeast Raleigh the people, the people from every tribe, every nation, every language, joining people from all over the earth and from all of history that could say, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. He alone is our salvation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Make all things new. To that end, Lord, may we be faithful by your Spirit. In Jesus' name.